Hey, good morning, Crossroads. How is everybody? Doing well? Good. Good to see you all this morning. Hey, my name's Justin. It's that season again where we've got graduates, so new milestone or a milestone in life. People uh, within Crossroads, we've got about six graduates that I'm tracking so far, so just want to offer a big round of applause to all those graduates out there. <laughs> Including my daughter, and I'm a very proud papa, so please join me in prayer. Our Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you for, for the milestone that's graduation. Thank you for um, just this church, Lord. And as our graduates continue forward, Lord, we know that you have a plan for them. You know every single thing that's going to occur, Lord. So we just um, ask for them to continue to focus on you. It's our prayer that they do that, Lord, as we go through their lives and continue on uh, to the next part of the journey that you've got for them, Lord. So thank you for that. Lord, and thank you for today's message. We know that uh, your hand is on this message. It is your message, and we thank you um, for Dion as she delivers it as well, Lord. It's in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. All right, join us uh, for a video to kick off today's message called Paul the Influencer. Who is your greatest influence? Is it a member of your family? A friend? A celebrity? Because the thing is, we're all influenced by something. Could be a person, a situation that happens like coronavirus, or events that take place around us. History's influences include Philippe Kahn, the inventor of the very first camera phone, or another Kahn, Bob Kahn and Vince Cerf, who invented the internet. Can you imagine a world without it? The popular American Time magazine released a list of the most significant figures in history. And do you want to know who topped that list? It was Jesus Christ. He is arguably the greatest influence who changed history forever and the lives of millions since. One of the most striking examples of a life totally transformed and turned upside down by Jesus is a guy named Paul who lived 2,000 years ago. Paul found himself in a courtroom towards the end of his life. But the story of how he got there is quite something. Paul hated Christians. He used his influence as a Pharisee to persecute them. In the book of Acts, it says that he began destroying the church, going from house to house, dragging out both men and women and putting them in prison. Paul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. But something happened that changed his life forever. The risen Jesus stopped Paul in his tracks. And as light from heaven flashed around him, he heard a voice say, Why do you persecute me? Paul was instantly blinded by the light and he fell to the ground. His life was totally transformed in that moment. Jesus set Paul on a new path. First to gain his sight back through a man named Ananias. And then to change the world for the good. Now, we may not be as blatantly against Jesus or had as dramatic a moment, but we have to ask ourselves the question, would we have forgiven Paul today as Jesus did? Or would he be cancelled? Paul goes on to write a good chunk of the New Testament. He goes on many journeys, experiencing near-death storm crossings, and all to share who Jesus is and what he's done. He trusted Jesus till the end and used his influence till his final breath. Well, good morning. 
morning. It's good to see everybody today. Thank you. Welcome. Um, thanks for ch uh, joining us today. As uh, Justin mentioned during prayer, my name is Dion, and so I've got the privilege today of talking about one of my absolute favorite people in the Bible, and that's the Apostle Paul. The video introduced him a little bit, just kind of briefly over some things, um, uh, significant points about Paul's life. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on today in our topic of conversion is Paul's conversion from a radical Pharisee and religious leader to a radical Christ follower. And as we saw in the video, Paul's story about his encounter with Jesus absolutely turned his world upside down. And so then what took place after that is a powerful lesson and hopefully one that we can all learn from. Um, I know that as I have read and studied um, the scriptures over the years and, and read about Paul, I mean, he's just, he has been a powerful influencer in my life as God has, has taught me so much more about him. Now, interestingly, though, the story of Paul is, is huge. I mean, it is really way too much for us to be able to cover in just our short period of time today. I mean, I could, but you might be mad at me when it would be dinner time and <laughs> we'd all have to go. Um, but you can find his testimony um, of himself in Acts chapter 9 as well as chapter 26. And then as you read through the New Testament, all the different books of the New Testament, you get... Um, you get more about Paul's life and everything that he did. And so it covers about, you know, a span of about 30 years in his missionary journeys. Um, he had about three journeys, some people say four, um, as he went through and established churches throughout the, throughout the ancient world. And he taught and he led and he instructed and rose up leaders as he was doing that. And so as we talk about Paul today, Paul and, and how Jesus influenced his life, um, I'm hoping that as we learn about him, we will find that Paul is actually somebody that not only can we look up to as someone who influences us, but somebody that we can identify with because he really was truly just a very normal human being, but a normal human being that, that, that accepted the invitation from Jesus to make a difference in the world. And so today's message, um, if we were to call, if we were to title it um, a different title, it really is a before and after story. And so I would imagine we're probably all familiar with before and after stories, right? I mean, um, it, the transformation stories, if you're up in the middle of the night or if you're up really early in the morning, I guarantee you, you've probably seen some of those infomercials that come out you know, where you, the exercise program or the vitamin supplements or whatever it is that, you know, you just can't live without that's just going to change your life forever and all that good stuff. Um, not that I have ever bought anything from an infomercial. <laughs> but no, so we're familiar with the before and afters because that's what they use to sell their product, right? Is the before and the after. But honestly, just in our everyday lives, we probably have our own before and after story. It could be something like kicking a bad habit, starting a new good habit, um, maybe getting over an addiction or setting goals and being able to achieve our goals. Um, for some of us, our before and after comes in our life before we're married and after we're married. Definitely before we have kids and after we have kids. Huge before and after story. But the one that really, really counts, the before and after story that means the most is the internal one the spiritual before and after story, our life before knowing Christ and the radical transformation after coming to know him. 
You see, for us and for Saul, before knowing Jesus, before we choose to follow him, our condition as human beings is that we are separated from God. We are spiritually and eternally dead. In fact, Paul himself says in his letter to the Ephesians that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And so that this is the condition of who we are before, before we know Christ. And so even if we do everything that we can to live a decent moral life, that just simply isn't going to gain us favor with God or guarantee us a place in heaven when we die. But here we have this amazing good piece of information, and it starts with two words. It starts with, but God. And those two words always indicate something incredible going on. And what we see, again, Paul telling us is that, but God, his grace, his mercy is so vast, and his love, the love that he has for us is so deep that even when we were in the condition of being separated, even when we were in the condition of being dead in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. So that when we choose to follow God, what we have now is this amazing offer of salvation by grace where we can actually become a new creation, where the after part of our story can begin. And so when, it, when he talks about being a new creation, it really means that, that everything about us from our past, whatever we may have struggled with, we've got this new heart and this new spirit, and we have a new power, a supernatural power that only comes from God through the power of the Holy Spirit. We now have this ability to love God in a way that we've never been able to before. We have this ability to, to love other people, even when they are being absolutely unlovable. We have this ability to overcome sin in our lives, things like anger and lust and greed and jealousy and just whatever it is that we struggle with. And, and not only that, but what comes with this new supernatural power as a new creation in Christ is the desire to want to draw others to, to God and to influence those around us for Christ. And that's really where the after part of our story begins. And it's really where um, it brings us to our message today and where we are in our series called Acting Out. And so um, if you've been with us, you know that um, our series Acting Out, we've been talking about, um, we've been talking about uh, the church, the church after, after Christ has been um, crucified and resurrected and gone back to heaven. And, and specifically today, we're going to be talking, like I said, about the conversion of Saul. And so in our series, as we've been doing this, we've been going through the book of Acts. And just as kind of as a reminder, if you're just now joining us, and if you're joining us for the first time online, good morning, online family, um, is that you can always catch up. We've got our, our past messages on YouTube or on Facebook. But what we've been looking at is a historical documentation of the birth of the Christian church. And so, like I said, what this is the, the things, the acts of the disciples or the apostles, the things that took place after Jesus was resurrected and ascended to heaven. But with his return to the Father, he didn't leave his disciples without hope or a future. He sent the Holy Spirit to them to give them power and the ability to carry out his commands. So before he leaves, before he goes back to heaven, he has told them that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on them and that his purpose for them is that he would, they would be the, his witnesses throughout all Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so this is the incredible privilege that they have. 
and is to take the gospel message out to the world. And it was for them then, and it is absolutely still are the goal for us now. And so for the disciples, now keep in mind that at this point, when, when Jesus told them this, they were all in Jerusalem for the Passover. It was at the Passover that Jesus was crucified. And so before Jesus ascended back to heaven, he told them, stay in Jerusalem. So they were there for the Passover. They were there together. And so not long after Jesus tells them that the Holy Spirit will come, the day of Pentecost arrives. Now, this powerful moment takes place. And what the day of Pentecost is, is it's one of the required observed feasts for the Jews. And so they would have stayed in Jerusalem. Pentecost really means 50. And so it takes place 50 days after the Passover. And so you imagine Jerusalem is just, the place is just shoulder to shoulder with people that have traveled all over to come do these, to um, observe these celebrations. And so for the Passover, or for the Pentecost, it was a celebration of, of harvest of the first fruits. Um, and it's also celebrated with the Jewish people as the day that God gave them the law um, in the Old Testament on Mount Sinai. So there's this rich tradition there. The reason why I'm telling you this, part of the reason why I'm telling you this is, for one, because it, it applies to what we're talking about today. But the coolest thing, today is Pentecost. And it's just, it was just kind of a neat God, to me it was just kind of a neat God moment that here we are talking about what's going on in Jerusalem and what, what happens with Saul and the disciples. And today is actually the day of Pentecost and there are still many Jews all over the world who are still going to be celebrating. Christians also celebrate. But for the Jew um, who does not believe that Jesus was the promised Messiah, for them, they still celebrate the tradition of Pentecost. But what they do now is that they get together with friends and family. Um, they listen to the reading of the Ten Commandments and they reaffirm their covenant with God. So the cool thing is, is that, you know, if we can kind of take a step back into history for a moment, it's the day of Pentecost and they're in Jerusalem and there's a good chance that Saul, being a top Pharisee, being there at the temple, that he would have been part of this enormous celebration. He would have been in the middle of all of this. And so he would have been likely to um, be likely to witness the falling of the Holy Spirit on the disciples, where they started um, talking in languages that they that they didn't even know. And so, this promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus said is that the disciples were all together in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a rushing wind. And you know, it was a little breezy yesterday. I mean, we all, we live in Ridgecrest. I mean, come on, we know what bad wind sounds like around here. Could you imagine if it was in your house? <laughs> okay, if the dust wasn't bad already. <laughs> but I mean, so this incredible, powerful sound comes and all of a sudden these things like little flames of fire rest on the disciples and they begin speaking different languages. And so this is what the promise of Jesus was. And so, again, you know, being in Jerusalem, being here for the entire celebration, there's a good possibility that Saul witnessed when they went out and spoke in tongues to the crowds. Um, it's a good possibility he was even there to hear um, Peter when Peter confronted the Jews and the people and reminded them that it was, in fact, they were the ones who put Christ on the cross and put Jesus to death. And you would find that in the rest of Acts chapter 2. 
And so throughout all of this, what's happening is as the Holy Spirit came and the people are listening, this new church is gaining momentum. And it says what was happening is that thousands of people were listening to the message and they were believing what they were told and God was adding thousands to their numbers daily. People were being saved. And so it's not too long after this where Paul enters the scene, or I should say Saul. If I flip-flop, forgive me for that, Saul, we know Saul as in his Jewish, as his Jewish name, and Paul would be his Roman name. Um, and at some point in there, it, it kind of goes from Saul to Paul, but just, okay, so if I flip-flop, don't, don't freak out. Uh, I'm okay. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> and so, so here, Saul, we kind of meet Saul for the first time. So in order to introduce Saul, I want to kind of take a step back for a moment and in order to meet Saul, we have to meet someone else, and his name is Stephen. Now, Stephen was a devoted follower of Christ. He was an incredible man, a disciple that was, was um, um, described as a man who was uh, full of the Holy Spirit. And Stephen, through the power of the Holy Spirit, also gave a message to the people. And he was telling them how stiff-necked they were, that the people were so against hearing the message of Christ, they were so resistant to the truth, that even though they had the scriptures and they had the prophets and they had the law and all of these things pointing to Jesus as their Messiah, that they continued to reject him and that they put the prophets to death and all of this. And of course, this is just absolutely causing them complete and total outrage. They don't like what they're hearing. And I don't know about you guys, sometimes, you know, when somebody's telling us the ugly truth about something, we just, you know, it kind of gets to us a little bit and we don't want to hear it. But these guys were so outraged and Stephen's message cut to the heart of them so much that they just, it says that they, they ground their teeth at him. They had a physical response of anger. And so it seems that their jealousy and their spiritual blindness overwhelmed them so much so that they got to the point where they actually decided that they were going to kill him. And so what happens is here we have Stephen, and here's a picture of Stephen. He's got a nice face, doesn't he? <laughs> But here's Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, and he gazes into the heavens, and he sees the glory of God, and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand, and so what he says to the people, he says, I see the heavens opened, and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, understandably, as a Jew, they would have known what he meant by seeing the Son of Man, and that he, in fact, was saying that this Jesus whom they crucified is at the right hand of God. This is more bad news for them, and it angered them so badly that they, all at once, they rushed and they grabbed a hold of him, and they drag him out of the city, and they cast him out of the city, and they kill him by stoning him to death. And the witnesses who were there laid down their garments at the, young feet, at the feet of a young man named Saul. And here's where we first meet Saul. This is Saul's before portion of his story. And so, as we heard in the video that we watched earlier, Paul, Saul, hated Christians. He thought that they were blaspheming God and that they absolutely needed to be stopped. And so he made it his life's mission as a Pharisee, as a religious leader, to do so. And he did it with the approval of the Jewish council. And so what we see is that he, Saul not only approved of his execution, but he continued to go on um, persecuting the Christian church, this new church. And so he, um, and it, what it did too is it started a, 
a great movement of persecution, and so it scattered all of the disciples. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but the disciples went all over into different areas. And the fun thing is, is well, it's not fun, but last week we learned about persecution. In a couple weeks, um, in the message called Spreading the Gospel, we're going to find that persecution very often is the best vehicle to spread the gospel news all over the world. So this is actually part of God's plan. And so Saul, he's, he's breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He, he gets letters from the Jerusalem council, permission basically, to go into a town called Damascus, where along the way and as he got there, if he found any people who claimed the name of Christ, he was going to arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem. And so this is what he wants to do. And he's just dragging men and women. Could you imagine like you're at home sitting at dinner and all of a sudden the authorities come to the house and just drag you out of the house for your faith? It does happen now. <laughs> May not be here yet, but it does happen. And so this is what Saul was doing. And so Paul, being intent on carrying out his mission to destroy the church, goes along, to Dam along the road to Damascus. Now, before we get to the, the next part of this, I, I, I think it's important for us to understand that Paul's actions actually, this is going to sound strange, but it came from a deep love and devotion to God and his law. As a Jewish leader, he thought he was doing the right thing. This was his life. He spent his entire life studying and learning the scriptures, um, becoming a religious leader, and so he saw Christians as a threat to the God of Israel. Um, as did many Jews then, and, and honestly, a lot, a lot of people today still see Christians as a threat, right? And, and especially the message of Jesus Christ is threatening to many people. And so Paul's job was to defend and protect it, and his zeal and his passion for it was so intense that I firmly believe that if he were here with us today, we would think he was an absolute religious nut. I mean, you know, it would be very obvious. So so here's Paul. He's on his way to Damascus. He's got the letters. He's got, you know, he's going to go get these Christians. But something happens. We have, we have this incident that as he's on his way, he's on the road, he's got a group of people with him. As he approaches Damascus, suddenly this great light from heaven shines around him. And so he falls to the ground. This light is so intense, he just collapses. He falls to the ground, and he hears this voice saying to him, Saul! Saul, why are you persecuting me? And you see his response to him was, who are you, Lord? And so when he asks the question, Jesus responds to him and says, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Get up and go into the city and you'll be told what to do next. And so we see that Saul, on his way to do damage to the church, is stopped absolutely dead in his tracks because God had a different plan for Saul. And so this is kind of another one of those but God moments where we see a transition, a phenomenal thing happen because but God had different plans for Saul. And it's something that I like to call the Damascus Road moment. That's a little obvious. He was on the Damascus Road. But, but these, this Damascus Road moment for Saul because Jesus reveals to him that by persecuting the Christians, by persecuting the church, by arresting and killing Christians, that he was actually persecuting Jesus himself. And, and this is a truth that I had to learn, um, I did learn, and something that we may not really ever think about, is that when we sin against people, when we say hurtful words, 
when we have hurtful actions towards other people, when we respond in jealousy or anger or we are gossiping about other people, there's a reality there that not only are we sinning against, against them, but we're actually also sinning against God. And so we'll notice that when, when, Jesus, um, when Saul encountered Jesus, Jesus said, Saul, you know, you were persecuting me. He didn't say, why are you persecuting all those people? He said, why are you persecuting me? And so this is kind of a, a shift in our mindset here. And so Saul getting up, you know, he's, he's here, he's on the ground. So he gets up from the ground. His, his group around him has to like lead him into town where he is told to meet a man named Ananias. And, and God had already talked to Ananias and prepped him. And I think it's funny because and everybody knew who Saul was. Saul was known. He had a reputation. This man was like super popular when it came to killing Christians. So all the Christians would have known who he was. And so here's Ananias and God's like, so I'm going to bring Saul to you. This is what's going to happen. And Ananias is like, Lord, um, I've heard about him. Are are you sure? (laughs) Do you, do you know this guy? He's dangerous. And so God's like, yeah, yeah, it's going to be okay. He, he takes him to Ananias. They come together, but this, this blindness that, God, that happened, Saul was blind for three days without sight. And so for three days, he has to deal with this, encounter, this life-changing encounter. Something about this heavenly light was so intense that it caused a temporary blindness. And I think we, can, I think we all understand that. It was funny because I mentioned last night, and I don't know, there's probably a few younger people here that, you know, like actual cameras with actual flash bulbs, do they even have those anymore? <laughs> Probably. I'm sure they probably do. But when you got your photo taken and the flash went off, what normally happened? You can't see, right? Because you got those little dots in front of your eyes and it takes a few minutes for your eyes to adjust. And so could you imagine a light so intense that you can't see for three days? I mean, this is, this is obviously a God thing. Um, so I can imagine that, you know, when I think about this, if God used a physical blindness to help Paul understand his spiritual blindness. And oftentimes that's what happens for us. You know, this is a defining moment for Saul, and I think, you know, we can identify with him in this, is that, you know, I can only imagine what he must have been thinking during those three days. I mean, he had three days to sit and take everything that he knew about the Old Testament scriptures and everything he knew about what had happened with Jesus and his ministry and his death and and resurrection and put all of this information together to come to the conclusion through the Holy Spirit that Jesus was the Messiah. And he came to understand this. But there's also something else he came to understand. With this, with this encounter with Jesus, he was, Paul was also now confronted in his sin. See, all these years, his, his adherence, his, his dedicated religious adherence to the law is what he thought was going to save him. And now he understands that he was dead in his trespasses and sins as well, and that it's through Christ's grace that he can live. So now he's confronted in his sin. And could you imagine for a moment the realization all of those people that he had captured and put in prison and and authorized to be killed, stoning Stephen was murder. Can you imagine? I guarantee you, I know for myself, that there are those of us sitting here today 
on the other side of the before story, we're in our after story, we, we have decided to follow Jesus and we think about the things that we did before we knew Jesus and it just wrecks us because we know the pain that we caused. You know, but not only did, did, did Paul become confronted in his sin, he was also confronted with amazing grace. And so what we take from this is that God never stops reaching out to us. We all have Damascus Road moments. They may not be as explosive as Paul's, but they are there. And it's often a matter of just simply, simply recognizing them when they're there. And that Jesus is there calling our name. And he's saying, Dion, Dion, why are you persecuting me? See, for me, when he called my name, one of the biggest Damascus Road moments I had, and I've shared this with you guys a lot, so I'll be brief in it, um, is that back in 97, after struggling um, with Crohn's disease for several years, I ended up in the hospital with sepsis, and it required um, a very massive surgery. I had ileostomy and a colostomy for several months, um, and I almost died in the entire process. But for me, at that point, the fear of death um, the fear of not having been a good enough person to go to heaven, even though I thought I was a Christian. Um, God showed me during that time that I had it all wrong. He captured my attention. I had that Damascus Road moment where I was on my knees and suddenly realizing the spiritual blindness that I had. And see, you know, it was just kind of that moment that God helped me understand what grace was through faith in Jesus. And so, you know, it, it was the beginning of a new journey for me. I was in the hospital for two weeks, which gave me plenty of time um, in and out of the morphine, of course. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, just it gave me plenty of time to examine my heart and really just kind of start turning over some things and, and figuring out what was going on. And I, I really did understand and, and was absolutely committed to following God. And I was absolutely terrified about what it meant but it was beginning of an entirely new and radical transformation. My after story started that moment. And of course, it happened over time. It is still happening. It hasn't been perfect. There's been lots of stops and starts and mistakes and bumps along the way. And it still is happening today. And I imagine it will happen until my last breath. And so I have to ask, what is, what is your Damascus Road moment? You can probably think of that time, at least one, if not several, where God has, has captured, where Jesus has called your name and captured your attention. And it may have been through a pain, you know, pain inside of a relationship or consequences of an addiction, physical or medical things going on with us, a diagnosis that, that isn't looking good, or, or even the death of a loved one. Um, you know, we, get, we do memorials here quite frequently, and, and it's, it actually is it's sad, but it is an honor to be able to help families in that way. But the one thing that is true about memorials is that we come to understand that death is common to all of us. And they do have a tendency to make us take stock of our lives and remember our mortality. And, you know, sometimes that's the Damascus Road. But I also know that people who have, who have been born and raised and grown up in a church, who have faithfully attended every single weekend, that, that somehow, some way, during one of their sermons, heard biblical truth in a sermon that made them realize that they were not going the right direction for many years. <clears throat> and so when this happens, when God captures our attention and, and we do this, there has to be a response. Just like Paul responded with, who are you, Lord? We must ask the question. 
And for some, it's an immediate thing, and we, we kind of take off like a rocket like Paul does. For others, it might be slow and gradual, and over time, as we explore and dig into the Bible and learn and study, um, there are those, maybe it's shallow and temporary, and it really never takes root. But there are those also who it's life-changing, and it's forever. And so this is where we come to our after because the after part of our story, just like with you know the before and after photos on the infomercials, it, it requires change. There's got to be evidence. And the evidence of change in the reality, honestly, for Christians, there's a reality there that in our after, we're also going to have to be prepared for some things, that, some of the things that Paul endured. You know, some things that might be a little bit difficult, but definitely some things that we need to learn from. Because really... Real salvation is a catalyst. It, it propels us to do things we never thought we could or never thought we should. Um, it causes us to take, take risks that we never thought we would, even though we know it's going to be hard and it might be a little bit scary and it does come at a cost, but we willingly take those risks, just like Paul did. And that comes through the Holy Spirit. And so when Paul got to Ananias... Um, Ananias, or God had told Ananias that the reason why he was going to send him is because he told him that Paul was a chosen instrument to carry God's name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. So, so as Paul is telling God, Lord, I, I'm not real sure that you know how dangerous this man is, <laughs> God is telling Ananias, he's encouraging him and saying, no, I have chosen him. He is my chosen vessel. Just like every Christ follower today, now in the past and in the future, is God's chosen vessel. But he also said, I am also going to show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so, and that is the truth. That is much of Paul's testimony as you read through the New Testament. We do read a lot of what Paul went through. He does us a favor of kind of condensing it um, to, in his letter to the Corinthians where he says, Five times he received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one because apparently 39 times of being whipped is not going to kill you, but 40 will. I don't know. <laughs> so he was beaten with rods. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was hungry. He was cold. He was in danger from robbers and his own people. I mean, he went through all kinds of stuff. But for Paul, the interesting thing is that he considered it a privilege. He considered it a privilege to suffer the way that Christ suffered. And I know that we probably don't look at it that way. There's not a lot of people who are like, ooh, Christian suffering, sign me up for that program. But it's a reality. And it's a reality in, in, in a way that God can show himself through us. See, every Christ follower, whether we realize it or not, we will suffer some form of persecution, whether it's the loss of friends um, it could be, you know, uh, losing a job. I mean, and this is especially true today. If we even take a minute to stand up for our faith and our belief, we are at a huge risk of losing jobs. Um, we get ridiculed or rejected, sometimes by our own family. Um, sometimes people do suffer physical persecution, like some of the martyrs. Um, but Jesus does tell us that if he was persecuted, so will we be persecuted. And, and sometimes, you know, when we look at it, suffering, persecution can also mean um, simple other kinds of obstacles or trials. And so when we do encounter these moments, we can ask God what it is that he wants us to do with it. Because in our faith, really, it's for the purpose of maturity and growth. See, God does not waste our pain. 
It is not just for nothing. You know, it helps us grow. It helps us mature. And more than that, God is glorified through us when we allow him to work through us. And he will absolutely allow and ordain suffering and persecution and pain in our lives for that purpose. And see, for us, it's important for us to know that real salvation results in noticeable and powerful transformation. Um, it also comes with the need to die to our own selfish desires. And so real, transfer, real salvation really is, it requires a shift, a shift from self-centered living to Christ-centered living. And, and unfortunately, I find that in today's world, even in Christianity, it's very common that our salvation can remain almost a secret, um, or it becomes very selfish. Now, this can happen unknowingly, just as much as it can happen knowingly. And sadly, selfish salvation is often taught um, by many, many Christian teachers and leaders and pastors. Um, but what selfish salvation does is it remains focused on us. And so we hear a lot of, you know, this constant, I am forgiven, and Jesus loves me, and I have value, and I am this, and I am that, and I have power. And the challenge is, is that those are all true. Those are all true statements, and those are all good. But that should not be our life's mantra. At some point, salvation has to go outward. Just like Paul, he didn't, he didn't meet Jesus on the road and then talk about himself. He went out, and he was taking the world by storm. And so we have to be careful because salvation can become very comfortable and very safe, and it never pushes us out of our comfort zone if we're not careful and, that, and that's what salva selfish salvation can do. And, and I hate to say this, but I kind of feel like, you know, when you read books about those who are martyred in other countries and the underground church in China and people inside of the nation of Islam who, who are persecuted for their faith, and then you come to the American church, and we are a very comfortable church. And yeah, there are some that do suffer persecution, but as a whole, we are spoiled, especially in Ridgecrest because we're isolated, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I mean, I will be honest with you. I'm okay with that. I'm not, I'm not asking, because, you know, I feel like it's going to happen. I, you know, I'm okay. Just, eh, all right, God, we will. But, you know, and, and honestly, sometimes I feel like we're too comfortable. And this is for me. I'm not being like, y'all are too comfortable. I have to be careful with myself. This is my lesson. But as a church, as a whole, it, you know, and so even for us here in Ridgecrest, it is a blessing. It is a blessing. We are so blessed, but it can also be the sign of uh, a symptom of a deeper problem if we're not careful. And I kind of liken it to um, fishing, if you'll kind of indulge me for a moment, um, <clears throat> when it comes to our faith and how we handle our faith. Um, when I was a kid, we had a boat and down in Redondo, and my parents, we would go fishing a lot. So I was used to ocean fishing. To me, ocean fishing is way more fun. Um, it doesn't take quite as much. Uh, <laughs> not like big game fishing. We would just fish and catch a lot of fish, and it was great. I was a kid, and so it was all good. But then we moved up here. Well, now you're lake fishing, stream fishing, you know, and it's a very different method. You don't, you can't, just toss your line in and figure you're going to get something. But the problem is, is fishing's really not my thing. Um, my parents love to fish. I love to lay out and get a tan. You can't do that here. I found that out too. <laughs> um, but so for me, we would go fishing. My style of fishing, I'm a lazy fisherman. 
I would get me a big fat old night crawler and put that bad boy on a hook and throw it in and leave it sit there for hours, you know, just be like, meh, you know, something eventually would kind of swim by if it was hungry enough, it would grab the worm. And believe me when I tell you, I have caught some ugly fish. There's some ugly fish down at the bottom. (laughs) And so there's that, you know, but then there are those fishermen, they use lures They use lures and they've got all of their little tricks and they cast and they reel in and they cast and they reel in and you know you catch stuff sometimes you don't but it's very active and you cast and you reel in or you troll around with your boat and so it kind of reminds me of of our faith and what we're supposed to do with it you know jesus told us jesus told his first disciples i will make you fishers of men these guys were fishermen and so he used something they were familiar with And so, but when I think about that in our faith is like, are we lazy fishermen? You know, do we kind of just like throw our faith out there and hope some hungry soul swims by and grabs a hold of it? And sometimes that is actually the best technique to be real low key about it. Um, But, or should we just be kind of like casting out and we reel it in and we cast it out and we reel it in? We're not responsible for catching people, their decisions. We are responsible for how active we are in our faith. And so part of how we do that is something that Paul calls thorns. And so, and the significant change in part of our after story and part of Paul's after story is that something apparently had happened to him. Scholars think it was his eyesight because of what happened on the Damascus Road. But we see that he's telling the church in Corinth, he says, he says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. So understand, God had given Paul just amazing revelation about the mystery, about his entire plan from beginning to end. And apparently, Paul recognized that because of this, because of the wisdom that he had, that he was prone, maybe, to becoming arrogant and conceited and prideful about it. And so because of that, a thorn was given in the flesh, a thorn in the flesh. You know, like I said, some people think it was his eyesight, but it was a messenger of Satan to harass him. Now, we got to understand, Satan can only do certain things if God allows it. And it was meant to harass. So you kind of get the idea that there's that constant reminder. And I think some of us, you know, we get up in the morning, we've got that constant reminder. (laughs) This hurts, that hurts, you know, the snap, crackle, pop as we try to start getting moving in the morning. And, And so, but God allowed this in Paul's life to keep him from becoming conceited. And not only that, but he prayed to God three times that he would remove it from him. And I know that there have been those moments in our lives where we've had something going on that we've asked God, we've prayed, God, Lord, please heal this. Please take this from me. Please, you know, change this inside of my life. But God oftentimes, as with Paul, will tell us, no, no, because my grace is sufficient for you. Because like Paul, it says, God tells Paul his grace is sufficient for him because it's when we are weak that God's power can be seen through us. Because let's face it, I don't know about you guys, I can certainly speak for myself. As humans, we tend, myself, we tend to be prideful. If everything, if nothing hurt, if everything was going perfect and, and everything was all good, we have a tendency to not need God. 
And so God allows things inside of our lives, messengers, thorns, to be able to keep us from becoming conceited, to be able to keep us grounded, to keep us humble, to keep us reaching out towards God. You know, and I know there's people here right now who have a thorn or thorns. We've had them in the past. We might be suffering right now, and we certainly are going to experience something in the future. Whatever it may be, you know, it is something that God is allowing in our lives, like Paul, so that his power can be seen through us when we are able to let him, through the power of the Holy Spirit, walk in love and obedience and peace and being able to show the world who God is. You know, when this happens, it's, it's, it's not a sign of failure as a Christian. It doesn't mean that God loves us when we're dealing with these things. And it certainly doesn't mean that we don't have enough faith, as is taught by some churches. It is meant to glorify God. And although I did already share that one of the thorns that I can identify with Paul was the medical situation I mentioned earlier, um, which has left physical scars that remind me every single day about God's grace. But now, my beautiful thorn, my thorn on a daily basis, <laughs> be careful I say this, is my baby girl, Caitlin. I know most of you guys know my daughter, Caitlin. She um, is an adult with disabilities, and she is my beautiful thorn. And it, it's not because I'm saying she's a pain in my side. Mostly. <laughs> she is still human. <laughs> but that she is God's grace in my life in a very real way. And it is only through his strength in my weakest moments, when I'm exhausted, when I'm impatient, when I'm irritated, that his power can work through me to be a loving parent to be a godly parent. And, and so she keeps me grounded. She keeps me striving to be a better mom. You know, my greatest prayer is that as we do this, you know, and I make mistakes, believe me when I tell you, this is not a perfect deal, but that God would be glorified through us. And so as we finish tonight, or today, um, as we close, you know, in our application, this, again, this was just scratching the surface of Paul and his life, his before and after story. When we take a look at our lives um, and the reminder of the video in the beginning that we are influencers, just as Paul was influenced by Jesus and he became the influencer, he was the persecutor and became the persecuted, that we all either have a before and after or we are in our before and going towards the after. As we, as we think back to the moments where Jesus captured our attention on our Damascus road, and the thorns that we have in our life that God has placed there out of his loving grace to show his power through us is that who are we influencing and toward what? See, Paul did something that was called redeeming the time. His, his attitude in all of this was that to live is Christ and to die is gain. So, of course, dying, not being here would be better. But if he was going to go on living in the flesh, it meant fruitful labor for him. It meant casting and reeling in, casting and reeling in. And so that's what he would do. And so what he tells us in the book of Ephesians is that, that we as Christians should be careful how we walk on a daily basis, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of our time. But it doesn't really mean just stay busy and fill your time with good things. That is true, and that is what we should be doing. But redeeming the time, purposeful, deliberate, um, actively looking for opportunities to buy back the time because the days are evil. 
being able to make the most of our time in that way. Because looking for opportunities, they're all around us, whether it's inside of our home with our family or our work or our school or even church. Because I, I don't know if you guys knew this. Did you know that not everybody here is a Christian? It's possible. I know when I first came to church, I thought everybody was like super holy. <laughs> everybody knew everything better than I did. We're just human. We're all human going down a path, slipping in the same mud. So go out and look because our, our greatest challenge today is an opportunity. It's time. We're busy people. We need to carve out some time to be able to do that. And that's what Paul did. He redeemed the time because even in the end, in the end of his life, he spent his last few years in a Roman prison. While he was there, he continued to minister. He wrote letters. He had people come visit him. He was preaching the gospel. He was doing all of this. And so today, as we, as we close on Paul's story, I actually want Paul to finish his own story. So we're going to watch a clip from the movie, Paul the Apostle of Christ, which I think should still be available in the library. Um, Knowing his time is growing short, he's writing this letter to Timothy, who he calls a true son in the faith, another disciple, um, with some final encouragement and instructions. But as you watch the clip, kind of keep a check on who you see in the clip and see if you recognize one of the people that he meets in heaven. My dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race.
Grace be with you all. When Paul got to heaven, he saw all those people that were greeting him were those he had persecuted. Did you catch it? Did you see Stephen? Can you imagine? Can you imagine how Paul must have felt seeing Stephen greeting him in heaven? And honestly, that's, that's us too. You know, our, our goal is to be able to say what Paul said. I have fought the good fight. I have, I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. As we think about our before and after, who's going who's gonna to meet us in heaven? Who's going to be greeting us? I hope to see Paul. I want to see Jesus first, but then I want to see Paul. <laughs> but there's those, that, that's going to be, what is going to be the end of our story? And, and being able to say, I have kept the faith. Would you please join me in prayer? Father, there are no words to thank you for the gift of your life so that we could live in eternity with you. The fact that the things that we have done in our lives are absolutely redeemable. Lord, there, we have suffered pain and we have caused pain. And it is by your loving, merciful hand that that can be our old life and that we can be a new creation should we choose to follow you. And that the old will be gone and the new has come. And that we are forgiven and with by your, by your hand, that when we do get to heaven, we will see others um, who have also chosen you and who we will be greeted by. And we thank you so much for that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.